Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 17 and the first half of it and I've entitled this Jesus Praise to the Father and my goal today is that we will feel what it would have been like for the disciples to overhear Jesus praying for them in such a powerful, caring and intimate way and that we should take in, take it in that the prayer is for us as well. What it would have been like for the disciples and then to understand and appreciate that the prayer is for us as well. I'm going to do three things. We're going to give you an overview of the prayer of John and how it fits together in prayer of John 17. Um, sorry, it's the prayer of Jesus, not the prayer of John, in John 17. Then uh, look at Jesus' heart for his people, specifically focusing on verses 11 through 13 today. And then we're going to look at how we respond to this prayer of Jesus for us. A quick overview of the structure of John. John falls into two halves, and often they're called the Book of Signs in the first 12 chapters, which is Jesus' public ministry, particularly signs that he's doing, seven signs that he does building up to the resurrection of Lazarus. And that's Jesus' public teaching. And then the Book of Glory, which is private teaching, and then his death, his resurrection, and his um, reunited with his disciples. And if we look at that, the Book of Glory, which we're in right now, begins with a meal with the disciples, and then we have 14, 15, 16, and 17 amazing chapters of some of the most extraordinary teaching in the Bible. And that is just with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. And this culminates in what we're doing today, which is the prayer of John chapter 17. And then we have 18 through 20, his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. And then the book ends with a final meal with the disciples on the beach. So the last seven weeks we've been going through this teaching with Jesus just with the disciples. And it begins with Jesus, the God who will wash your feet and love you to the end. That's how it starts. The God, he loved them and he loved them to the end. And this is an incredible concept that God is one who will love us to the end. He will never let us go. And then he washes their feet and also he's full of empathy towards what it's going to be like for them to lose him. Even though he's going to be the one who dies on the cross, he's looking at their needs and washing their feet. And the extraordinary thing is, they say, well, what's the father like? He says, the father is like me. I'm a revelation of the father. Wow. This is actually what the Father is like. Amazing. This unselfish Jesus, caring for those he loves, is a revelation of the Father. Then we have an invitation to step into this, this love between Jesus and the Father, that we're asked to step into that. Then Jesus gives, you, gives us the parable, the picture of the vine. And he says, you can only live a new life connected to the vine, just like a branch can only bring forth fruit, bring grapes if it's connected to the vine. How do we do this? How are we connected to the vine? 
he says, by stepping out in obedience, as he prompts us to live the new life of love, if we step out in that, that causes the power to flow. We can't just sit there waiting for energy to live this life. But as in faith we respond to Jesus, the, the new life, the new, the new power comes into us through his spirit. Uh, then we have the promise of the spirit of truth. We are actually better off than the disciples were because of the spirit. And this is... Uh, this is the extraordinary teaching that uh, Jesus brought to them not to be discouraged because the Spirit was coming. And then last week we talked about, in a little while, your sorrow will turn to joy. Why is that? Well, Jesus says that pray and experience the joy of a Father who hears and answers you. And as you pray and as you 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 feel that the Father actually is hearing you. He's, he's, he's there, he's listening to you. That experience will bring you into a fullness of joy. And we've been challenging each other during this last week to pray more and to really to, to do this, to really move into this experience of joy. So the plan for today, again, we're going to look at an overview of this prayer. And then Jesus' heart for his people and then responding to Jesus' prayer for us. So, let's begin. This is uh, uh, the, this, this uh, form of, of Jesus' prayer. Let me, um, let me just talk about this. Um, when we look at the way that Jesus' prayer unfolds, we see that it's... Um, almost poetic. It's got a level of, of intricacy to it and beauty to it that is um, just beautifully written. It's just beautifully balanced. And this race is a question for us. Um, what's going on here? Like, uh, is, is, did Jesus really pray in this form? Uh, did John take the words and reformat them in a poetic form, or what's going on here? Uh, so there's this question about the form that it's written in. So I want to argue that um, actually this way that Jesus prays, the form that he prays in, is actually quite a natural form. Um, the the uh, let, let me give you an example of how our, the, only, the way that we think and the way that we can speak can match the kind of, of forms we see. And I realize I haven't explained to you what these forms are yet, but I'm about to do that. And you know, the way that this, this prayer is formed. Um, so uh, let me just give you an example. Supposing I said something like this. I wish I could support my friends who are in need. But I would need more income, which would mean a better job. So I'm praying for this. So that when God answers my prayer and gives me a better job and I have more income, I can support those in need. Now when we look at that, it looks almost poetic because of the way it's, it's balanced and it's structured. And this is exactly the kind of thing that's going on in Jesus' prayer. And we're going to see 
that there are actually six of these in John 17. Six of these like mini structures that begin with an issue. They begin with some sort of problem. They begin with a challenge. Like this one, the challenge is, I wish I could support my friends who are in need. And then that develops into like a central point. And here we have, so I'm praying for this so that when God answers my prayer, and that's like the central point. And then it it unfolds back in reverse order to the beginning, answering the problems. And then at the end of it, we have uh, a kind of a statement which resolves the initial problem. The initial problem, I wish I could support my friends who are in need. Uh, I'd need more income, which would mean a better job. Central point, I'm praying for this so that when God answers my prayer and then back through, it gives me a better job, have more income, and then the answer, I can support those in need. So this is the kind of way that the prayers work in John 17. And I'm just going to give you one example now, just to to put some flesh on the bones here. Uh, This is in verses 14 through 18, and I've kind of summarized it a little bit to, to, to make it easier to get. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. So that's the issue. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. And then the statement, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. And then the the central point, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. So, if the initial problem is that they're in the world, but they're hated, but they've got Jesus' word, and this, the reason for this is because they don't belong to the world, then the answer to the problem is that Jesus is going to pray that they're safe. And then we go back, Jesus says exactly the same thing in verse 16 as in verse 14. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. And so the words are exactly the same, but now he's working back in a different direction, because he's now going to come to the resolution. Your word is truth. I send them into the world. So if you look at verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, then that is resolved in 17, your word is truth. I send them into the world. So to start off with, they're hated by the world, but if God is keeping them safe from the evil one, not taken out, but kept safe, they are then able to be sent into the world. And so you see that even though there's a beautiful balance to the way that this prayer works, and like almost poetry, yet it actually functions in a very, very logical way, in a way that enables us to see where Jesus is going. It's a very powerful way. Um, So I want to... uh, to, to say at this point that uh, the Gospel of John is, uh, is uh, sorry, that John chapter 17 is quite a complex chapter. And it's just to read it through, it can be confusing, it can be difficult. Like, what's being said here? Is it like a, just a jumble of things being repeated? And, and so looking at it in this form, and the way that I'm going to be doing, can be hugely helpful in understanding what is happening here. Because just like just a a mass of statements piled on top of one another can be be difficult to to figure out what's going on, 
But when you see it's grouped into these six prayers, and each one starts with a, 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 a key, an idea at the beginning, and then a key turning point in the middle, and then some sort of uh, resolution at the end. And each of these fits this form. You can see where the prayers are going, what they're for, and how they all fit together. So it's, we're not just looking at these because they're cool. It's not just because, oh, well, this is neat. Look, we can see these things in there. It's actually very important. And there's one other reason for looking at them. Because they're there. Because if God has put them there, look, I mean, look at these verses here. Look, verse 14, that bit in italics there, they do not, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world, exactly repeated in verse 16. What, what's that there for? Something is going on. Why these perfect exact repetitions, bracketing, key ideas. And so it's there. And if, we, if it's, God has put it there, we are responsible to find it and to ask why is it there. So, so the point of this example is to show how something can be both a very natural prayer and real prayer and it can have a very distinct and beautiful form. So this is the way that John 17 is structured and uh, it's going to help us to see as we go through the way that this works. So the next thing I want to do is to look at these six prayers and just give each one of them a title. The first prayer, verses 1 through 5, I have completed your mission and brought eternal life to humanity. So the time has come for me to come back to your side in glory. The second prayer, 6 to 10, You entrusted me with your loved ones, so I fed them your words and they received them. I pray for them now because they belong to us both. Then the third prayer, 11 through 13, and this is one we're going to look in a little bit more detail in a moment. Now I am leaving them. Please keep them safe and especially give them the kind of unity that we have. The fourth prayer, verses 14 through 19. Keep them safe, but also may they be dedicated to our mission and send them out just as I was sent out. And there's a little turning point here as we get through to four. There's much more of a kind of a directive uh, as a mission for us. Five, as the mission grows, may the world see their love and unity and so believe in your love. And the last one. And finally, I want them to be with me forever, enveloped in our love. So you can see there's a progress in these six prayers from beginning with reviewing almost what's happened to the end to taking us through into eternity. So what I'd like to do then is to go over the first two really quite quickly because there's so much in here uh, we don't have time to really dive into them. Uh, And then I'd like to, to land on the third one and spend a bit more time doing that. So... We've done part one, the overview of John 17. We're now going to look at Jesus' heart for his people and then we're going to end up with a response. Okay, so let's just go back now to, um, to the beginning. 
John 17. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Now we assume that the disciples were there, they hear this. So part of what he's doing is actually allowing them to have a window into his prayer. He didn't necessarily pray like this all the time. I think uh, maybe he's giving a bit more explanation in his prayer than he would have, because normally the Father would understand uh, without Jesus explaining it. But he's, he's maybe doing this with the disciples as a kind of a teaching moment for them. But it's a prayer nevertheless. So I'm going to read the first prayer there. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you have given him authority over all humanity, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now glorify me, Father, at your side, with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And you can see that um, the, this first line there in verse 1 just matches the, the verse 5, the last line with the prayer to glorify me. And then the second part of verse 1, that my son may glorify you and I have glorified you, match perfectly. And then we have verse 2, being given, you've given authority and you've sent, match very, very well. And then in the middle we have this statement about eternal life. So, beautiful symmetry to it. First thing I want to say is that it's really, really echoing the opening of John. The first 18 verses of John are a poem, a beautiful description of Jesus starting in glory, being given a mission to come to humanity, saving his people, and returning to glory. And... This, if you like, is the other end of the story. He's done it. And, well, not quite completed because he's still going to suffer for us, but the, the teaching ministry has been completed, which is what he's describing in there, that he's, he's actually revealed the Father. And so they're like um, bookends, parentheses, on Jesus' whole ministry up until his death. The, John 1 through to John 17, and so echoing what's happening in that. Um, one thing I'd like to pick up in there, note the words eternal life here, you may have eternal life, and this may remind you of John 3.16, um, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. But you notice here that um, eternal life is not just mere eternal existence. It's much more than that, what is it? Well, here, the key idea here is that actually eternal life is, in fact, knowing the only true God and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. So what's key in this is that actually the life that we have is not just existence, but to know Jesus, to know the Father, is so amazing, it is eternal life to actually know him is amazing. Um, and we're going to see as we go through these prayers 
that there's something about them that lifts up our identity. And I've been so moved as I've been reading them through and seeing who I am in God's eyes, how important I am to Jesus, what he has for me, such powerful words that speak into who I am and where I'm going and what God has for me. And um, then, so that's the first prayer. Let's look at the second prayer just briefly. I have revealed your name, verse 6. To the people you gave me out of the world, they were yours and you gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they understand that everything you have given me comes from you. Because the words you have given me, I have given to them and they have received them. And truly understand that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and I have been glorified by them. And so you see that, uh, once again, a beautiful symmetry, as Jesus begins with um, talking about the Father. He's revealed the Father um, because to this people, the people you've given me, because they're yours and you gave them to me. And so we, these people, we, we, both, we both own them. We, we both love them. They're our people. They belong to us. And, and this, in verse 9, this ends the same thing. I'm praying to you. I'm not praying to the world because those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And I've been glorified by them. So, so, if you like, verse 6, I've revealed your name, is echoed by the end of verse 10, I've been glorified by them. So, I've revealed your name, but then I've been received glory back from them. So, um, the, the, this is really, so what's happening here, this is really summarizing, unpacking, sorry, not summarizing, it's unpacking the middle part of the prayer before. So, the prayer before says, um, uh, they, they, they may have eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And so, Jesus says that this is what it's about. This is how, what it's about to know him, to have his name revealed to us. And he really unpacks that middle part of the previous prayer and expands it in more detail. And there are just three things I want us to, to, to note before we move on from here. Um, the first is, that a lot of this would be new to the disciples. That we can read and we can say, oh, that sounds fairly straightforward, but this would be something radical for them, and this is why maybe there's more explanation of what's, what's happening here that we might think is obvious. The second is that this, is, uh, this unpacks the very heart of Jesus' mission. He's done what he was given to do. He was... He was given this role of giving the words, given a people and given the words to give to them. So he was given his, his, his followers, his community, and then he was given the words. And so he starts off, um, you gave them to, pe- to me, you gave the people to me. And then he says, they've obeyed your word. And then he says, everything you have given me comes from you. 
the words you've given me, I've given to them. So the idea is Jesus has completed the mission. He was given a people, he was given words, and he's delivered it to these people. So that's, that's what the, 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 the prayer is about. But I want to end by saying, as we look at this, the, this particular prayer, it puts in a, a new light the idea of this love here that we have. Um, the, the fact that we are jointly loved, the way Jesus describes us, he says, they were yours and you gave them to me. And this is such a precious statement that like, we're jointly loved by Father and Son and they're like saying, like, here, I love these people so much. You, you just look after them now, but they are so precious to both of us. And I, and, and I felt that as I read that, it touched me that um, there's a, something very intimate and special about that. That... Uh, this is what we're going to see as we're going through, that who we are as beloved, as so important, as part of a mission, is going to be emphasised as we go through. So that's all I'm going to say about the second prayer, because I want to spend a bit of time on the third prayer here. And let's look at it. Let me read it. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. But I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them safe in your name that you've given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them safe in your name that you have given me. Exact repetition of the the line in verse 11. Exactly the same in the Greek. I guarded them and not one of them was lost except the son of destruction, fulfilling scripture. But now I'm coming to you. And those things I speak in the world, so they may experience my joy completed in themselves. There is so much in here. And I'm going to pick out a few things. The first thing is that in verses 11 and 12, he wants us to be protected and kept safe, particularly from the evil one. Uh, Verse 11 um, He says, I'm coming to you, keep them safe in your name that you have given me. And uh, that really what's going on here is that he says, I'm coming to you. I'm I'm not going to be with them any longer. I'm coming to you. And this is the initial issue. Uh, I've been with them. I've been keeping them safe. But now I'm coming to you. Verse 13, I'm coming to you. So I want you to keep them safe. And he felt responsible for the disciples. He cared so much for them. There's this like, I want to make sure they're okay when I'm gone. And there's such a care for them. And I want you to know that he cares for you in the same way. And uh, I want you to just be able to take that in. Um, Just imagine that you're one of the disciples right now and you're listening to this prayer and you're hearing Jesus pray to his father, I'm, I've kept them while I've been with them, but now I'm going to you, be with you. You, please, would you look after them? Wouldn't you feel cared for? Isn't this amazing that, that this person who is his God and he is so concerned for you. You know, when somebody who's in authority shows you an extreme level of care 
then it really means something. My brother-in-law about a month ago had a severe heart problem and he went to see his doctor and the doctor was so caring. Basically, he, he, he get sent him, got an ambulance that moment, sent him straight to hospital, straight to the operating table, saved his life. The doctor was so caring at that point. Um, uh, imagine um, what it would be like for you to be sitting in your doctor's office and hearing the doctor on the phone so insistent that you get the best care. To be in that position that this is a powerful person who cares for you so much. Um, years ago when I worked for IBM, I had to go um, suddenly on a, a, an urgent business trip across the Atlantic. And that my boss was so caring, like he, he organized every little detail of my trip so that, you know, I, uh, a limo came to my house in England, took me to the airport, um, uh, you know, the, my, my ticket was there. When I, when I arrived at the other end, there was somebody with a sign saying, Andrew Fountain took me to the hotel. There was a car rented there for me. Everything was done. And they'd worked so hard to make this easy for me and to look after every detail so that I wouldn't have to worry. And, you know, that means makes so much of a difference when an earthly person does that. How much more when God is so concerned and you imagine the disciples hearing Jesus expressing this concern for him at the same time. Um, it feels so good when someone in authority with lots of resources demonstrates how much they care about you. We can see a couple of examples of this in Paul's life. When Paul was first arrested in Jerusalem, uh, they there was a group of, a large number of um, the, the, uh, the um, Jewish, um, the Jews who hated him, banded together and they wanted to kill him. And they had a plot, a scheme that they were going to kill him. And this news came to, uh, I think it was Paul's nephew, a little boy, came to Paul's nephew. He overheard it, overheard these people talking and came to Paul. And Paul said to him, I want you to go and tell the governor, of the Roman governor. Now, what's happening there? Well, Paul is thinking, you know, Jesus is looking after me here. I just have to pass this information on. I don't have to worry. The little boy went to the Roman governor. The Roman governor listened to him, and he sent Paul immediately out of the city, far away. But he didn't just send Paul. He actually like had a small army accompanying Paul to make sure he was looked after, to make sure he was safe. What would that have felt like for Paul to be so cared for by Jesus? And then later on we know he suffered at times like he was, um, he was in prison at Philippi, but then his chains were released. And then the next place he went to when he was at Corinth, uh, this big city, he's just about to arrive. What's going to happen? Is he going to be in prison again? Is he going to be beaten? Jesus appears to him in a vision and says, don't worry, Paul. You're going to be safe in this city. Nobody is going to arrest you in this city. And so what did that feel like for Paul? That Jesus was there all the time. Now, that doesn't mean to say they didn't ever suffer persecution or were killed, but they couldn't ultimately be hurt. hurt. And I want you to know that this is what Jesus has for you at this time. <clears throat> How does it make you feel? to hear Jesus saying this about you. 
What's it like for you to know that? That's what I want us to contemplate today. But then it's not just about our safety, but it's about our joy as well. Look at this um, last verse. So they may experience my joy in themselves. Sometimes we think of God as some kind of stern parent who, who um, is much more concerned about our good than, than our happiness. And, uh, you know, eat this, it's good for you. And, uh, uh, of course, Jesus does want that. He wants what is good for us. But here, it's quite clearly saying that, that what he ends up in this prayer is our joy. The goal of this prayer is actually this joy that's completed, that's fulfilled, that's like, it's total joy. Uh, so I want to ask you, what, how does that feel like? Just take a moment. How does it feel like that, that Jesus actually, he wants your joy, he gets you, he understands that, you know, that, that this is your desire and your happiness is important to him, not just your good. So just take that in. Then the last thing I want to look at in this prayer is the, the central part. It says right there in the middle, so that they may be one just as we are one. At the very centre. And I want to say that our joy is bound up with our unity. This unity expressed here is almost unbelievable. Like, you're saying, Jesus, that you want us to be one in the same way that the Trinity is one? Like, that kind of level of closeness? What's going on here? And uh, I, I'm not going to say that I understand all the, everything that's going on here, but I want to say that uh, this is such a powerful statement that Jesus' destiny for us, that it's, you know, it's beyond imagination. And it's so exciting that we have this level of love that we are being called into. You know, what the glue that holds the Trinity together is love. The, the incredible love they have for one another just binds them together. And this is the kind of love that we are being called into here. Um, we've not reached this. We've nowhere near reached this. But uh, Jesus' plan is that we will. And Jesus' plan is that we will reach this goal. Um, it's shame and fear keep us apart. But this is the high point of God's love for us, that uh, this is the destiny of creation. And I can't claim to understand it, but I do know that, the, the, that this love is the very essence of God's plan for the future of humanity. This kind of love and unity is the very essence. And the last three prayers, which we're going to look at next week, are unpacking what this love means. So those are three points I've taken from this prayer. The idea that, um, that Jesus is, cares so much about us, like the disciples are overhearing him, him making provision for them, because he's so concerned for them on what this feels like to have somebody so powerful, so concerned that we're taken care of. And the second thing was that actually not just taken care of, but to have fullness of joy 
And the third thing is that this is going to be accomplished through this kind of unity that's being talked about. So let's go back to our plan for today. We've talked about the, the overview of the prayer. We've talked about, just finished talking about verses 11 through 13 and Jesus' heart for his people. And now I want to briefly talk about how we can respond to this prayer. Um, three things. How much Jesus cared about his disciples to be kept safe. How do we respond to that? I want to suggest that we can feel what it's like to know it applies to you right now if you follow him. And this is a call to follow him because by following him you become part of this community that he so cares for. And you follow him by receiving his words as it says in the first of his prayers, receiving the words that the Father gave him. And as you receive those words, you become one of his people. But the response I'm I'm calling you to have here is to feel what it's like to have this care. And I want just to take a moment, what's that like that Jesus cares so much for you right now? praying this prayer for you right now he hasn't stopped praying this prayer and then building on that not only does he care but it's really important to him that you have extreme joy you're probably thinking don't understand that why would he want me to have joy but I want us to respond this is where the prayer lands this is how the final line of the prayer this is your destiny. And so, uh, what's it like to let it sink in that he's passionate that you should come to this kind of joy? Just let that sink in for a minute that this is the, how Jesus' prayer ends here. Your joy will be complete. Your joy will be full. And then, Both of these are woven tightly into something deeper. Your unity with other believers. And so I want to respond to challenge you to put a priority on exploring this and developing this. And see that this actually is the route to this kind of joy. And I I want to end by saying that growing in love is going to turn out to be the road to joy. And so ask Jesus to help you grow in it this week. Ask him to help you grow in it this week. Let's pray. Jesus, we are amazed and we're so touched as we hear your prayer for your disciples and for us. We're so deeply touched when we see how much you care about us and how your desire is for our joy. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us grow into unity and into love. Deepen our love with one another and give us opportunity to develop that love in practice throughout this week and throughout our lives. We give this to you. We ask this knowing that it is your heart, Jesus. Knowing that we're praying your prayer. Thank you. Amen.